so good to see you today. It's a beautiful day outside. I have a, a, a family member running the marathon today, which I would much rather be here with you than running a marathon. And so I'm glad you uh, made it through the traffic if you're coming from that part of town. Uh, can we thank John Lee for a great weekend last weekend? It was so much fun going up against him. Yeah, we had a lot of fun together. It was a, it was a blast. If you missed our throwdown, uh, I'm not sure we'll ever do it again, so I'm sorry. <laughs> uh, but actually, uh, we got to see a little bit of the Super Bowl commercial earlier. We'll have another one at the end, but no, we had a great time last week. But today we're jumping back into our series, Welcome to the Jungle, which is really helping us navigate the challenges of life. Like what happens when the circumstances around us aren't what we want them to be? And so we're looking at Daniel, Daniel who was taken hostage as his city, Jerusalem, was destroyed, was now working for an evil king. And yet we've seen over and over these moments where he was able to proclaim the truth and actually stand up for the truth and, and even with all the evil that was around him, navigate it. But today we're talking in Daniel chapter 5 about the writings on the wall. You heard that phrase? The writings on the wall. Maybe you've experienced that. Maybe you're a parent you have a little beautiful, brilliant toddler who had an intelligent idea to write on the wall at your house. I remember when my cousin, Debbie, she's about 15 years younger than me. I was a teenager, and she was about three years old. She comes in, and her fingernails had whiteout on them. She had found the whiteout and thought it was you know, something you put on your fingernails. And come to find out, she had painted all over my, our grandmother's desk. Right? So this writing on the wall actually comes from Daniel chapter 5. And it's come to mean a boastful, overconfident person or group or team has a great downfall coming. And everybody can plainly see it except the person that it happened to. And that's what we'll see here today. Just a, a reminder of kind of the backstory. Daniel is a man living faithfully to God in the midst of a culture that is opposed to God in his ways. And so we're learning how to stay faithful to God in our workplace, in our school, or, or anywhere that we might be. Because some of us are in places we don't necessarily want to be. But God can use us in those moments, just as he used Daniel. The Jewish people were overthrown by the Babylonian king, Nebuchadnezzar. They were taken from Jerusalem to Babylon. And God gave them a, a sense of hope that they would only be there for 70 years, which sounds like a long time, doesn't it? But he still had a plan for his people, and he says to them, while you're here, I want you to prosper the city in which you live. I, I want you to do good for the enemies that are all around you. And Babylon was definitely an enemy. Daniel and his friends stayed true to God even when it went against, went against culture. And God used Daniel and his three friends 
Two weeks ago, we looked at how God warned the king, Nebuchadnezzar, about his arrogance. And unfortunately, he did not listen. And so he ends up wandering for seven years. See, we see this principle in the scriptures that God opposes the proud but gives grace to the humble. And so King Nebuchadnezzar wandered for seven years before he finally asked God for help. The God of Daniel. And eventually was restored and his kingdom was prosperous once again. And he then proclaims to all the people that they should worship the God of Daniel, the God of the Jews, Yahweh. See, what happens in life is oftentimes when we start to succeed, we can become blinded. We think that we got here from our own strength, our own might. And what happens is pride comes before a fall. But God loves us too much to let us destroy ourselves, which is the pathway we're on when we try to play God, trying to control the universe. So in his mercy, sometimes he gives us what we want, and the result is we hit rock bottom. Has there been a moment in your life where you hit rock bottom, and you called out to God, and you were able to start afresh Here's the beautiful thing. You don't have to wait to hit rock bottom before you ask God for help. Dale from our North Campus in North Austin emailed us this week. Listen to what he said. I had so many questions about what it meant to devote my life to Christ. The Alpha Group experience gave me an opportunity to explore these questions and many more topics in a welcoming, open setting. I love the group setting because I didn't feel alone with my questions any longer. So if you have questions like, is there even a God, or who or what is the Holy Spirit, or how do I pray, or why did Jesus have to die, or what is faith, then Alpha is for you like it was for me. He is a man who was invited by a friend to Gateway who had all these questions in life and was struggling, and he found a community here at Gateway that helped him process these questions, and eventually Dale decided to follow Jesus and got baptized. As John mentioned, maybe this is a season for you to take seriously your spiritual growth. And so we have opportunities, gatewaychurch.com slash alpha or slash events for a women's group that's happening during the services on Sunday morning or some of the new community groups. See, it's too hard to try to live this out by yourself. We need each other in this journey. So we see evil King Nebuchadnezzar hits rock bottom, but he humbles himself. He looks to God. God forgives him. And Daniel, in the midst of that, is promoted. He's now got influence over this entire city of Babylon. So I wonder, where does God have you right now? How are you allowing him to influence others through you? Do you realize that even if you don't like it, at this moment, God can use you there. They're there for a reason. It may only be a season. It could be 70 years. We're not sure. But if you humbly follow God and you're faithful, trusting him, allowing him to work in you and through you, you can actually influence the culture where you're at. And if God does lift you up, prospers you more, then stay humble. Don't wait for the writing on the wall which is what 
sets us up for chapter 5. Listen to what happens. King Nebuchadnezzar has died. King Belshazzar is now in power. And we read the following. Many years later, King Belshazzar gave a great feast for 1,000 of his nobles, and he drank wine with them. While Belshazzar was drinking the wine, he gave orders to bring in the gold and silver cups that his predecessor, Nebuchadnezzar, had taken from the temple in Jerusalem. He wanted to drink from them with his nobles, his wives, and his concubines. Belshazzar is the new king in town, and we discover that he's actually co-ruling with his father, Nabonidus. Now, don't confuse Belteshazzar from chapter 4, which is Daniel's Babylonian name, with this king, Belshazzar. Two different people. And Belshazzar is a party animal. But sadly, he's neglecting his people who are suffering through famine and drought and poverty. Because he thinks he's the center of the universe. He's the center of his own universe. He's blinded by his success. Now, it's worth mentioning that stories like this in the Bible are here to teach us so that we don't just repeat history. The great Spanish philosopher, Santayana, not to be confused with the great guitarist, Santana, (laughs) once said, those who cannot remember the past are condemned to repeat it. King Belshazzar was the grandson of Nebuchadnezzar. Surely he knew the story that his grandfather had a nervous breakdown or some sort of mental break to the point where he was exiled from his kingdom, wandering aimlessly for seven years only to humble himself and ask God for help to be restored to his kingdom. And yet the grandson doesn't learn from history. And when we don't learn from history, we keep repeating it. That's the unfortunate story we see throughout the scriptures. In the Garden of Eden, we believe the lie that God doesn't know what's best, that that we want to know the difference between good and evil. And so we get to experience more of the evil when we choose to go our own way. We feel like sometimes we know what's best. We want to have it our way. And we eat the bitter consequences of knowing what evil is. Evil is simply the absence of God's love order, joy, peace, harmony with nature and each other. And so everything goes to hell, literally, disconnected from God. And we see over and over and over that when people hit rock bottom, they turn back to God, and then God shows his compassion, his mercy, his willingness to forgive. And then things seem to go really, really well, and we forget that it was God that helped us get there. And we fall right back into that same pattern. We don't seem to learn from history. God tells the people of Israel as they're entering the promised land through the person of Moses that he loves them and he wants to bless them and make them prosper. And listen to what it says here. Deuteronomy 8. When you have eaten and are satisfied, praise the Lord your God for the good land he has given you. Be careful that you do not forget the Lord your God, failing to observe his commands. Otherwise, when you eat and are satisfied, when you build fine houses and settle down, and when your herds and flocks grow large and your silver and gold increase and all you have is multiplied, then your heart will become proud and you will forget the Lord your God and say to yourself, my power and the strength of my hands have produced this wealth for me. 
But remember the Lord your God, for it is he who gives you the ability to even produce wealth. What have these last few years been like for you? Maybe you're doing better than you've ever done. Have you acknowledged that this is a gift from God? That he gives you the capacity to even make money, to even start a business, to even get promoted. See, every good gift is from God. And God tells them, I want to bless you. I have good things for you. But don't become proud and think that these good things I'm giving you are because you deserve it or because you've earned it without my help. See, we're blessed in order to bless others. God wants to give us more so that through us more can be given to those in need. One of the saddest verses in the Bible is in Judges chapter 2. Moses passes the baton to Joshua who leads them into this promised land and they do prosper. They're safe, they're secure and listen to what happens. After that generation died, another generation grew up who did not acknowledge the Lord or remember the mighty things he had done for Israel. And the Israelites did evil in the Lord's sight. I remember when I was a kid, I heard this phrase that there are no grandchildren in the kingdom of God. That all of us have to decide for ourselves, do we want to know God? Do we want to connect with God? We can't live on the fumes of our parents and their relationship with God. We cannot live on the fumes of our grandparents that each of us has to make our own decision. Every generation gets to decide, are we going to be a generation devoted to God and his ways or are we going to go our own way? And so then we see in the book of Judges this horrible roller coaster of falling to rock bottom, turning back to God, God delivering them only to become proud once again and falling over and over and over. For 490 years, this roller coaster ride continues. And so God finally gives them over to what they want, their own way, which leads to the destruction of Babylon from Babylon. Have you been on that cycle in your own life? Do you find yourself only reaching out to God when things go badly? Or have you learned to stay connected with God, to, to go deeper in your walk with God? Allowing him to use you, to work in you. You know, it's fascinating. A few generations ago, the city of Babylon was seen almost like the city of Atlantis. There was no seemingly archaeological evidence. The only reference point to Babylon's existence was actually the Bible. It wasn't until 1899 that an archaeologist discovered that what the Bible had said a couple thousand years ago was true, and they discovered Babylon, about 50 miles south of Baghdad. And they discovered that there truly was an Ishtar gate, the hanging gardens, that it truly had an enormous size. We see this over and over. Archaeologists continue to affirm what the Bible has talked about for years. There's an archaeological find, the Cyrus, the Cyrus Cylinder, that tells us that Belshazzar was a real king and he was the son of Nabonidus and Nabonidus had disappeared and left Belshazzar in charge for 12 years and this happened in October of 539 BCE. 
And we discover that the city of Babylon was just as described in the Bible. It was seemingly impenetrable. There was an outer wall that went 17 miles. And that wall was 22 feet thick and 90 feet high. City gates were made of bronze. A system of inner and outer walls and moats seemingly made this city unbelievably secure. And so perhaps we shouldn't blame Belshazzar for his arrogance. I mean, he's throwing a party while Cyrus the Great's army was just outside the gates. At the height of his arrogance, he's getting drunk along with his wives and concubines and nobles while the people were struggling with famine and poverty. Kind of a funny side note, Iron Maiden released a song last year. Remember Iron Maiden? They're still alive. Maybe they were part of the living dead, I'm not sure. But they actually had a song on that album called The Writings on the Wall. And the animation video starts with concert leaflets inviting everyone to Belshazzar's feast. (laughs) But Belshazzar thinks to himself, I'm better than any of the gods. So let me go take the sacred goblets taken from the Jewish temple. Let's not just get drunk and completely ignore the people's problems. Let's not just get drunk and ignore the fact that Cyrus the Great's armies outside the walls. Let's get drunk using Yahweh's goblets from his temple. The height of arrogance. And something miraculous happens in that moment. Daniel 5, suddenly... They saw the fingers of a human hand writing on the plaster wall of the king's palace near the lampstand. The king himself saw the hand as it wrote, and his face turned pale with fright. His knees knocked together in fear, and his legs legs gave way beneath him. Have you ever been at a party that went horribly wrong? That's what's happening here. And I can only imagine that some people were like, that can't be happening. I just had too much to drink. That can't be happening. But it was happening, and they freak out. The king cannot hide his obvious fear and trembling, watching as this hand is carving words into the plaster. An angel, or perhaps God himself, was writing on the wall. says this, The king shouted for the enchanters, astrologers, and fortune tellers to be brought before him. He said to these wise men of Babylon, Whoever can read this writing and tell me what it means will be dressed in purple robes of royal honor and will have a gold chain placed around his neck. He will become the third highest ruler in the kingdom. Well, none of the fortune tellers, none of the astrologers had a clue. But the queen mother remembers Daniel. Daniel was able to help your grandfather. And so they bring in Daniel and they offer him all the Benjamins or the bling or the drip, depending on which generation you're part of, right? They offer him all these, all the riches and wealth that he could imagine. But Daniel's the opposite of arrogant, the opposite of self-seeking and proud. His aim is to please God, to love God and love others. And he says, keep all the riches. I don't need them, but I will tell you what the Almighty God says. And what he says, could you imagine if you had a moment like this where you were confronting your CEO with something like this? He said this, he ate grass like a cow, talking about King Nebuchadnezzar. 
Your grandfather ate grass like a cow, and he was drenched with the dew of heaven until he learned that the Most High God rules over the kingdoms of the world and appoints anyone he desires to rule over them. You are his successor, O Belshazzar, and you knew all this, yet you have not humbled yourself, for you have proudly defied the Lord of heaven. This is the message that was written, many, many, tekel and parson. This is what these words mean. Many means numbered. God has numbered the days of your reign and has brought it to an end. Tekel means weighed. You have been weighed on the balances have not measured up. Parson means divided. Your kingdom has been divided and given to the Medes and Persians. That night, Belshazzar was killed, and the Medes and Persians took over the Babylonian kingdom. So how do we apply this to our lives? Let me give you three quick things. First, learn from history. God gives us the history of humanity and the scriptures, and so we're supposed to learn what happened and not repeat the past. 1 Corinthians 10 says it this way. These things happened to them in the Old Testament as examples for us. They were written down to warn us who live at the end of the age. If you think you are standing strong, be careful not to fall. The temptations in your life are no different from what others experience. And God is faithful. He will not allow the temptation to be more than you can stand. When you are tempted, he will show you a way out so that you can endure. See, as human beings, we all face the same traps and temptations. And yet God is faithful. And he can lead us out of them when we look to him. But we need to learn from history. That's why Black History Month is important as we remember the great contributions of African Americans in our society. That's why understanding the contributions of women and Asian Americans and Latinos is important. Understanding American history, understanding the Holocaust, the war in Ukraine, even the history of great spiritual awakenings are important for us to understand so that we can recognize what God is doing, so we can avoid the mistakes from the past. And to make it personal, even understanding your own family's history, understanding the accomplishments, but also the generational struggles that may have been passed down. So where are you at, at right now in your life? Are you at rock bottom? If so, just reach out and ask God for help. If you're on your way up, do not forget to thank God for your blessings and prosperity. Remember to be a blessing to others. Or maybe you're already seeing the writing on the wall. You've thought you don't need God. and Maybe you wouldn't say it that way, but in reality, that's how you're living your life. Don't become like Belshazzar. Today is a day to restart, to reconnect with God. Or maybe for the first time say, God, forgive me for going my own way. I need you and your guidance and your wisdom. Second, stay humble. God opposes the proud but gives grace to the humble. So humble yourselves under the mighty power of God and at the right time he will lift you up. We see this in scripture over and over and over. Remember, we talked about humility is, is the opposite of thinking too highly of yourself or too lowly of yourself. You're actually able to see yourself the way God sees you, no more or no less. And you are loved by God, gifted by God, blessed by God so that you can be a blessing to others. We need God's help to live the kind of life that we long to live. If you haven't been paying attention, in social media, there's what seems to be a spiritual awakening in Asbury College. A friend of mine has worked there the last nine years and has 
just been sharing with me, just amazed at what is happening. It started with students who didn't want to leave chapel. It's turned into over a week and a half of people coming from all over to this continuous worship service. And in an interview I heard of one of those that was there, it kind of originated with this verse, Hebrews 12, 14, which says, live at peace with everyone and pursue holiness because without holiness, you will not see God. A repentance, not out of condemnation, but an acknowledgement that I need God to help me live this life. A level of humility to say, I want to see more of you, God, because when I have more of you in my life, the parts of me that are dangerous and destructive dissipate and disappear. Humble ourselves, allowing God to guide us. The band's going to come up and lead us in a song. And as they come up, let me share the last one. Number three, use what you have to help others. See, it's not about you or me. It's about we. It's about what we can do together. When we seek to love God and love others as we love ourselves. See, God puts us in positions of power and wealth, not just for ourselves, but to be a blessing to others as well. How are you using your time, your resources, your money, the gifts that God has given you to be a blessing in other people's lives? You know, I want to encourage you. Many of you at Gateway do this so well. You give of your time and your energy and your talents and your finances, and you're making a real difference in people's lives. We're seeing marriages rescued. We're seeing young adults and teenagers find hope out of helplessness. We're seeing people discover a new life. We're giving financially in ways to help local partners and global partners. You are making a difference. And I want to just encourage you during the song to ask God, perhaps there's more he's asking of us more that he wants us to entrust to him. Maybe there's something he's putting on your heart that he wants you to pursue, to to start, to ignite. Maybe it's a person he wants you to make things right with. I just want to invite you in this moment to let God speak to you. Let this song be a part of your prayer to him. So in this moment, let's stand together and let's sing.